Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, you might know that here at the New Culture Forum, we are always banging on about the need for a new commentariat. So I'm very delighted that today uh, my guest is one of those new commentators. Darren Grimes uh, is now at the Institute of Economic Affairs. You might know him from the referendum campaign when he became hugely well-known on social media. He's now been named as one of the 100 most influential conservatives in the UK. And indeed, he's on programmes such as Politics Live, Sky News and Any Questions. Thanks very much for joining us. Not at that's, all. Thank that's you very much. That's quite an intro. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, very nice. Very flattering. Thank you. Um, Darren, before we go any further, we, when I came here this morning, I'm sure it was the same with you, I walked through deserted Westminster streets. Mm -hmm. We're in the middle of this coronavirus mm -hmm. thing at the moment. What, what's your reaction to what Boris Johnson has just announced yesterday? Well, listen, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't slightly concerned. I think everyone is. Yeah. But I think the response by the government has been the right one. Yeah. You know, if we were to listen to Twitter, I think we wouldn't all be leaving this room right now. We'd all be self-isolating. And actually, I think that's the wrong advice. I yeah. think that would be the wrong thing to do. Because yeah. to ask people, especially elderly people, to self-isolate for over, what is about three months, yes. you know, people just cannot do that. Yes. They've got to get to GP appointments. They've got to get things in for the house they've got to make sure that they're in good health uh, and actually I think that would have the opposite of the desired effect which is to have people self-isolate when the medical advice tells us to do so so I think Boris actually stuck the struck the right tone yeah. as far as telling us to that actually people will be lost unfortunately in this epidemic um, but that we are all taking the right precautions and actually to wash your hands, you dirty beggars. That's, that's the <laughs> fundamental yes. advice. He was actually, I think some people were quite taken aback when he did mention about how some families will lose exactly. members, older members. So that was actually quite blunt, wasn't yeah. it? He was quite serious, wasn't he? I, it was blunt, but I think blunt for a reason. You know, but this wasn't just shock jock politics. This was actually him trying to convey just how serious this is and actually how we can all do our duty which is to make sure you wash your hands for 20 seconds mm -hmm. and actually to follow the precautions and sneeze into the crook of your arm if you don't have a tissue all things that are quite minor yeah. but that make a massive impact on containing the spread of this virus what do you think of the way the media's been handling it so far it's hysterical. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're trying to whip up hysteria. They're trying to accuse the Prime Minister. I don't know if you saw that clip that was going round of the Prime Minister on this morning. And it had been doctored. And it was no, trying really. to suggest that the Prime Minister was saying that actually perhaps the best way for this virus to run its course is to infect as many people as possible and to hell with the consequences. That isn't what he was saying. He was saying that that's one theory. And it's a theory he vehemently disagrees with. So I think there's a lot of, um, well, f fake news, for yeah, want of a better yeah, word, yeah. around this. Yeah. And actually, I think it's really important that we listen to the officials and Public Health England, to its credit, has actually been doing a pretty good job. Yes. Um, something else happened this week, actually, uh, this, earlier this week, um, which I think has got some relevance to you. Um, a lot of our viewers are not in the UK, so they, they won't necessarily know, so I'll have to fill in a bit. But... Obviously, you ran a very successful campaign during the uh, referendum campaign, which was aimed at young people, wasn't mm -hmm. it, called Believe. But the Electoral Commission, which is oversees our elections here, they sort of came after you, didn't yeah. they? And, yeah. and, and basically, you uh, emerged triumphant from that. Um, I, 
I'd like you to tell us a bit about that, but in particular, there was one individual uh, who appeared on the radio um, this week, uh, which has got some relevance to you, but can you just fill us in what actually happened? Absolutely. So I ran a referendum campaign in 2016. Once that was over, I'd actually received a donation from Vote Leave, which is the official designated campaign, the official yeah. Leave campaign, and they had surplus funds. They went to the Electoral Commission, sought advice. They were told by the Electoral Commission, which is the quango that regulates elections, that this was permissible. They made that donation to my campaign. My campaign used it to push our online uh, message, which was one that I think resonated with younger people. It was liberal reasons to leave the EU. And after that, I was met with fire and fury for having the temerity to be on the winning side of that referendum. My life was completely turned upside down and people like Julian Morm, who's a QC, a member of the Queen's Council, uh, came after me in quite a strong way. There were two investigations by the Electoral Commission. They signed that off. They said, there's nothing to see here. Look away. Everything's tickety-boo. And, and then after that second decision, Julian Morm raised funds online from Remainers with more cash than sense and came after me. And was he just an individual doing this or, or what? I mean, a legal activist, right? Yeah, a judicial yeah. activist, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And he came after me and the Electoral Commission opened a third investigation as a consequence. To me, this goes to the very heart of the problem. The Electoral Commission here was becoming part of the uh, mob, essentially, the Remain, the Continuity yes. Remain campaign mob. And the, it lost all sense of being impartial and non-biased. So they opened a third investigation. They decided to fine me their maximum fine. Which was? Which was £20,000. And to refer me to the Metropolitan Police. I decided to do my own crowdfunding. I fought in court the Electoral Commission's decision. A judge in a high court, one of the highest judges in the land, found that the Electoral Commission had got it wrong in fact and law really? and that actually they'd reversed the burden of proof. Yeah. So I had to prove I wasn't guilty yeah. um, when actually they should have been having to prove I was guilty. Yes. So Jolien was ridiculed throughout this um, and actually we found ourselves in the position where the Today programme, Radio 4's Today programme, have had him on given his sob story about how his life's been made absolute hell since he beat a fox to death over the Christmas period. Yes, I should explain that, yeah. actually. What, this, this particular individual, uh, he tweeted, it's quite remarkable, really, yeah. uh, over Christmas time, that he'd beaten a fox to death in his backyard or whatever with a baseball bat. Um, it pretty much seems to have imploded his profile. Mm -hmm. But he was on the radio basically saying, you wouldn't believe what I've had to deal with. This is someone who pretty much tormented you, isn't that right? Absolutely, abso and turned my life upside down. Not just my life though, my, the lives of my family as well. What was that actually practically? So tell us, when you say upside down, what happened? So I obviously had to raise the funds to fight this in court. I am someone of very limited financial means. I come from a single parent background yeah. in County Durham in the northeast of England. Um, I have no way of fighting this in court. This is a man, a member of the Queen's Council, who has a lot of assets behind him. He owns a windmill indeed. Um, and I was left in a position of facing bankruptcy, essentially. You know, that was financial ruin. Um, but there's nothing more dangerous, Peter, than someone who's got nowt to lose. Yes, no, no, quite. So quite. I just thought, I have to fight this. 
But as far as my family's concerned, you know, I had the press turning up at my door, uh, my family's door, speaking to my little brother try, who was at school at the time. They were telling him that if he spoke to them, he'd be able to help me out. Yeah. And it was, it was just, it was truly awful. It was quite sick, actually, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah. And anyway, we find ourselves in the position now where Jolian is on the airwaves comparing himself to Caroline Flack. Yes. You know, he was saying his struggle is similar to that of someone who was hounded online and committed suicide. He said he was suicidal himself, completely ignoring the fact that he, I was 22 at the time. He completely yes. turned my life upside down. Yeah. And Radio 4 gave him no pushback no. whatsoever. Yeah. This is a man that starts online pylons on people all the time yeah. Yeah. for having the temerity to campaign for a result that he didn't like. Yes, I mean, you raised, uh, how much did you raise? I, so I raised over £90,000, really? yeah. So that, that is wonderfully encouraging, isn't mm -hmm. it, that people come forward and do that for you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'll never ever forget it or be ungrateful yeah. for the just it, the love and outpouring of actually I remember during the darkest periods of it um, my mother would uh, she'd be sat on her own and she'd be going through the comments on Twitter and all the rest of it and she'd be saying Pess I just can't believe how horrible people are being they've got this all wrong I don't know uh, where they're getting this from and I said to her don't read those comments read the comments on the crowdfunding page mm -hmm. You know, over 2,000 people making an average donation of about 30 quid of their hard-earned mm. cash to support me mm. and that campaign because they recognised there'd been a massive injustice here and that there was a, con a massive campaign, yeah. one, to overturn the result of the referendum, but also to have very little regard for what happens to me as an individual. And she read those and she, she was just in floods of tears. Mm. Um, so it was really heartwarming and very encouraging and actually I think spurred me on during the darkest moments of that. So you were how old when you did this? Um, I, so I was 22 when the referendum ended, yeah. so I was 23 when I started to fight back. Do you, think, do you think it's also that these people, like this particular QC, and for that matter many other people in the establishment, it's almost like you've, got, you've had the temerity to, to actually you know, put your views forward. And they're not used to being disagreed with, are they? Well, that's exactly right. And I think that they sort of, they it's condescension, right? It's sneering. Mm. This idea that a working class lad from County Durham cannot possibly ha ha be able to articulate a case for leaving the EU. You know, he must be a patsy, he must be a shill. Um, he can't possibly hold these, these views himself or be able to articulate a case for Euroscepticism. And it's this... The idea that someone, just because he's got Queen's Council in his name, has a certain status and je ne sais quoi, which means that he can argue against and put down someone like me and get no pushback yeah, yeah, from the state yeah. broadcaster. I think that's really, really wrong. Um, and even when I did Politics Live the other week, you know, I came off and everyone was saying, how dare you give this boy a platform? You know, he doesn't know what he's talking, he doesn't have a degree. You know, the idea, this well, academic credentialism. Of these days. <laughs> well, quite, yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I think the political and media class in this country are so completely out of step. Look no further than what's happening with Pretty Patel. Mm. I was back home at the weekend and I was speaking to my uncle about it who voted Tory for the first time in his life in 2019. And he was saying, I think Pretty Patel's going to be the next prime minister of this country, the next female prime mm. minister. Mm. And that's completely out yeah. of step with the, yeah. the sentiment in the media and the legal political establishment. Yeah. 
So it, it just goes to the very heart of how out of touch these people are. Yes. And people, for some reason, and I'm very grateful they do, want to hear what I've got to say. Yeah. Because I think for a lot of people, their voices haven't been heard for far too long. Working class communities and the likes of County Durham have been ignored. Yeah. And what we saw in 2019, in my view, was no it, basically a political revolution. Yes, yes. I think uh, a lot of people who may be younger uh, won't appreciate quite what a big thing that was you do because obviously it's your area uh, of expertise but the, the thing is that they don't realize this was something extraordinary I mean all these labor seats voting Tory for the same time Boris I think had the humility to say I understand you've just lent us your vote mm -hmm. um, which I think is right but what do you think though Dan what, what do you think they should do next I mean do do you think they are a following through so far I know it's early days but are they following through on their new supporters, as it were. Um, and also, what should they do to keep them on board? I think they are doing the right thing. As but I, So I was a bit nervous before the budget. There were suggestions of things like uh, mansion taxes, for example. Mm. You've got it completely wrong if you think that these new voters are all a bunch of socialists who want to punish yeah, the rich. Yeah, yeah. That's not it at all. Mm. A lot of these people would quite likely be rich themselves. Mm. Or they're quite happy with the lot that they've got in life and want to protect that. Mm. They're quite conservative in their values. Culturally conservative. Culturally yeah, conservative, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, when, and now politically, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if things, are, I think focusing on infrastructure is really important. I think that's what has to be done. I am quite fiscally conservative. I like to run a, a budget surplus. I think we're going a bit OTT when it comes to public debt. I think that's a massive burden upon my generation's shoulders that we might have to carry for the rest of our lives. Mm. So I'm a bit sceptical about big spending. I certainly don't like HS2, for example. No, no. Um, but I do think as far as bus services, as far as new uh, links in the northeast of England, if you think about the bus routes in many of these areas, you're waiting about an hour for a bus, one bus every hour, and that's to connect you to the big cities. And that's where the employment is. So if people just cannot connect to these jobs and opportunities, you are gonna find that they're locked out of prosperity and our record employment that we've got in this country. So I think that's a big area where the Tories do have to focus. Yeah. So I don't think the attention on these areas is too far-fetched or overblown. I think it's right yeah. to do so. Yeah. And that's the only way that the party's going to keep these seats. When, uh, when you were growing up, I mean, you, you mentioned you were in County Durham, you're a single, uh, single parent family, your mother. Um, what, tell us a bit about your background. I mean, you know, here you are, you know, well-known now as a political commentator, were you always political? No, not at all. Politics was something that happened in Westminster. So we actually used to watch Channel 4 News when I was a kid. Right. Um, <gasps> I know, it's an absolute wonder I'm not a communist. Um, but we, So we used to watch that and my mother would just scream at the television with yeah, frustration. Yeah. Um, so it always felt that that was so far removed from our lives. Um, politics, I mean. So I was never, ever political. And it wasn't until I was about 19... Um, that I started to become uh, interested and it was a coalition government and it was around the same-sex marriage debate mm -hmm. during uh, if I go back and just explain give you a sort of short overview of my life 
Dad left when I was about three, was an alcoholic, quite abusive, waste of space. Um, was on my own with my mum for most of my life with two brothers. Had some quite hard times after she got divorced, using a food bank at one point. Um, what does she do for a living? She is a communication support worker. She signs for deaf students. Oh, okay. Um, and so public sector, not paid very much, um, and we've struggled throughout, but we're very happy. And it wasn't... The reason why I became political at 19 around the same-sex marriage bill was because at school I was quite badly bullied for being gay and had quite a horrendous time around that. And for me, same-sex marriage was all about, and you know, there will be certain conservatives watching this thinking it was the worst thing ever, but for me it sent a really powerful message that said Mm -hmm. to young gay men and women that were in my position that you are as valued in society and in the law, more importantly, as everyone else. You have a right to equality as far as pensions and your love is equal to everyone else's. And that was a really important thing to me. So I became quite political around that. It was the first bill that I watched go through the Houses of Parliament. I've since watched far too many than I'd care to admit, especially when I was working at Brexit Central. but yeah, I became political around about then. I thought I was a liberal. I thought I was a Lib Dem. Yes, you were quite active, weren't you? I was, yes. So I and applied. This is all when you were at Brighton College? No, before that. So right. I was doing an art foundation at Newcastle College. Right. And I applied for a programme called BBC Generation 2015, and that was for first time voters. And that was in 2014 when I applied for that. And I thought I was a, lib- a liberal at the time. I thought I was a Lib Dem. And I think that was just reactionary against my mother's politics because you never think that you, you must match your own family's politics and it's a rebellion against it. Where basically two pairs, in a, you know, we are completely aligned on politics, two pieces in a pod. And I joined the Lib Dems. I started campaigning. I went up and down the country doing broadcast. I did the Radio One. I interviewed Nick Clegg for them um, and was just thrown in the deep end as far as media is concerned. I then campaigned for Norman Lamb uh, in the leadership election in 2015 after Nick Clegg stood down. After Norman lost uh, and it became clear that we would be having a referendum on our relationship with Europe, I think for the first time in my life, I actually thought about our relationship with the European Union. Right. I hadn't thought about it before. I think for many, many people, that was the same for them. Mm-hmm. I started to think about it and I couldn't understand. It, there was a massive inconsistency, in, incompatibility rather, in the Lib Dem position. So the Lib Dem position at that time was to devolve power as close to the individual as possible to give them more purchase in society. And as someone from County Durham, I recognise just how important that is because a lot of these communities have been ignored for far too long. So I thought that's a really important message to spread around the country. But at the same time, these people are quite, they're arch-federalists, right? They wanted to give more and more power away to a remote and faceless, unaccountable bureaucracy in Brussels. You cannot square those two positions together. They're completely incompatible with each other. So once I started to think about this, I just thought, actually, I think there's a really strong liberal case for Brexit. Well, I'm not sure we'd even come up with that word at that point, or I'd certainly not heard of it, but for leaving the EU. 
So I said I'd believe at the end of 2015 and the rest, as I say, is history. So it's amazing though, because it wasn't just a case of you becoming you know, slightly interested in that issue. It's a, it, it's a total change because you started off studying fashion, and mm -hmm. I understand. Right? What, mm -hmm. were you, what were you going to be, a designer? Or? I wanted to be a pattern designer. That's where for some retailer at some level, uh, because that's where the money is in mm -hmm. fashion. I, I've always had an interest in computers. Mm -hmm. it's gonna, I'll take out the tiniest violin in the world. But when I was being quite badly bullied at school, um, my one escape was computers mm -hmm. and teaching myself design and how to uh, create graphics, how to create video content, which has served me quite well in my current uh, career. But I learned how to use Adobe Illustrator and all of these other Adobe products and became quite, quite good at that. Um, and I thought, right, well, how can I monetize this? I thought, well, I quite liked doing the fashion side of things when I was at college, mm. so I wonder if I should explore this. I since I then was bitten, essentially, by the political bug and haven't looked back since, unfortunately, despite the roller coaster it's definitely thrown me upon. So you, uh, you say you were very badly bullied at school. It's something that I can completely uh, understand and relate to, um, although we are parted by about... What, 40 years, I think, and for 30 years at least, in that regard. But So you were out at school then? I, um, I knew I was gay when I was 11. Mm. Um, I told one of the girls in our science class that I fancied one of the lads, and uh, she told everyone in the science class. Right. My brother is 11 months younger than I am, so he was in the year below. And uh, I thought, oh, well, everyone's going to find out. So I best just tell them, told my family. Was really scared. I thought I was going to be thrown out of the house. Um, I was completely wrong in that. My mother was an absolute godsend. Um, the entire family have been nothing but supportive throughout. Uh, but it was a really deeply uncertain time. And I was genuinely quite fearful about the repercussions of coming out and about what a gay... I thought I was a freak. You know, I thought I wasn't normal. And this isn't all that long ago, you know, Peter. This is, what, just over a decade ago, yeah. essentially, uh, 13 years ago. And even then, you know, I was worried about whether or not I'd be able to live a normal, happy life as a gay man. So that's why I, I talk about the same-sex marriage stuff being quite important to me, because I think I'd attached a lot yes. of importance to it in what signal it sends to people like myself who hopefully never have to go through that experience ever again of that deep self-loathing and insecurity. Do you think the, there's a particular kind of contempt reserve for people like us who, who are gay but are not gay in the right way in terms of what the left thinks? Do you, have you found that? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's massive groupthink yeah. as far as the LGBT, however many other letters you want to attach to that. I'm not even sure what's correct to say LGBTQ anymore. LGBTQ plus. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> whatever. Um, but, but I do think there's a lot of groupthink. And if you step outside the line, you're somehow... Well, actually, as far as my politics is concerned, I'm called a traitor in many ways. I was in Newcastle at the weekend... Uh, celebrating a friend's birthday and someone came up to us on the street outside when I was having a cigarette don't tell my mother and he said you are betraying your class really 
Mm -hmm. And his justification was that for that was that I am someone who should know better from a working class background. And I turned to him and I said, I think as far as County Durham's concerned, concerned, as far as Tory voters, I've got many allies in this yeah. betrayal of my class pet. And he just shut up. He didn't know what to say to that. But going back to the, the point about being a gay man, you're also called a traitor in that respect because they, they talk about Section 28. Mm. I mean, I wasn't alive when Section 28 was I brought was into policy. I was alive work. <laughs> <laughs> Already. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's just like they, they can't let go of these things that happened in the past. You know, the, you had the Conservative Party, the party of same-sex marriage, that despite half the party not voting for it, it still was a Conservative Prime Minister that put it forward through the House. Um, that was a really important landmark for, I think, just forgetting about Section 28 and moving on. I don't know why there is this tribalism and identitarianism. It's something I really don't like. My sexuality does not define me. It has been a part of shaping who I am. That's certainly true. Oh, yeah. But it does not, it's like, just like my class, it does not define me or determine what my politics should or should not be. I think it's ignorant and sort of small-minded politics and I hate it. Do you think, I mean, you were really there right at the very front of the referendum campaign and also you got the real sharp edge of the metropolitan elite, there's no question about that, coming after you. Um, but generally, do you think that Brexit and what happened changed your attitude to Britain's institutions in any way? It certainly did for me. I mean, did you find that it, you sort of had a bit of a wake-up call? Hang on, wait a minute, this isn't, you know, because we very nearly lost it, didn't we? We very nearly lost, mm -hmm. well, I actually, democracy, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I do think that. I think as far as Dominic Cummings is concerned, I think he's got exactly the right ideas. There needs to be root and branch reform of the way in which we do things, whether that be the civil service, whether that be the BBC, whether that be the MPs that we've got representing us. That's, I think that's why we saw the result we did in 2019. Yeah. People were so fed up of these MPs who were elected on a manifesto, let's not forget, to respect the result of the 2016 referendum, the biggest vote for anyone or anything our country has ever seen. And they had such little regard for the votes of people up and down this country that in 2019 there was a big, massive political revolution. I think that revolution needs to be continued. I think that revolution needs to look into things like the way in which the judiciary, for example, is politics by another means. What Jolian was doing to me, and Jolian Mom, the QC were mentioned earlier, what he was doing to me was trying to fight politics, trying to overturn the referendum through the court system. And I think that's wrong. I don't think these people should be able to do that. Politicians should be accountable to us. The lawmakers of this country should be accountable to us. And that means that you shouldn't be able to bring about changes in law through the court system just because you've got QC after your name, right? Mm. I think as far as the ballot box is concerned, we have lost, lost legitimacy in it and purchase in it. And it's really important that we refocus our attention on ensuring that people's votes matter. Mm. That's what Brexit was about. But these people, some of the people like uh, Jodie and Maugham, um, they sort of won't kind of 
give up, will they? They're, no. they're still now. I think you tweeted about this recently, and you know, even though we've had this extraordinary election result in December, which I think actually, dare I say, it was even more significant than the referendum, actually, because this was people coming forward and actually saving the idea of democracy. I think this public did this, um, but they're still kind of. They're still chipping away, aren't they? They're still trying to chip away. Definitely. I mean, the latest example is the Liberal Democrats trying to get a bit of attention because they've got a leadership election going on at the minute. I don't think either of us could say who's in the front running or who's even running for the leadership. But they said coronavirus means that we have to delay Brexit. We have to delay the transition period, or extend rather, Mm. the transition period of our membership of the EU, essentially. And in all but name. And this is just pure desperation on their part to ensure that we stay in the EU's orbit for as long as possible. So no, I don't think these people are going to just go away. Um, But I think at the end of the day, we will win Mm. because I think people in this country have been ignored, belittled um, for far too long. I don't think actually my win in court in July of last year was about me. I think it was much bigger than me. I think this was 17.4 million people saying that we will not allow these people to get away with this. We have had enough of the sort of technocracy of politics by other means. And actually, we want to refocus and re-energise our values and ensure that our politicians actually represent us for a change. Um, So it was much bigger than me. Do you think uh, you're now with the Institute of Economic Affairs, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You're digital manager mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, have you thought, for example, uh, of writing a book? I mean, about what, or maybe you are. I don't know about about your experiences. I'm not. Um, I doesn't appeal. I've definitely been approached um, oh. to do so, but to be honest with you. I don't know what I could write that I haven't already said right on in platforms as fantastic as this one. Um, I think. I've got a lot more to give and I'd certainly, as far as, you know, the emails I get on a daily basis from people saying, thank you for speaking up for the voiceless, that is what drives me and gets me out of bed on a morning. Um, But until I've got a bit more to say, you know, I'm 26 now, until I've got a bit more to say, I think it would be a bit self-aggrandizing probably to write a book. A revolutionary approach to politics. (laughs) (laughs) Potentially. Yes, I think it's very, very right. So uh, how do you see the future at the moment? Are you going to concentrate on being a commentator or or activist or is it all both? Um, I think a bit of both, yeah, yeah, I think a bit of both. Uh, I am passionate at the minute about ensuring that politicians are honest with the public about the charge towards achieving net zero by 2050. I think this will have a profound impact upon the lives of the very poorest in this country as far as flights, food, the way you heat your home, driving to and from work. You know, you could actually face losing your job. The prescription that some of these people in the likes of Extinction Rebellion are proposing is so extreme that I think politicians just aren't being honest. They're being fast and loose with the facts around this. So exposing that a little bit, I'm all for, I do believe that man is having an impact upon climate change. I I do think the science is pretty uh, conclusive as far as that's concerned. But whether or not a country that is about 1% of global emissions needs to cut off its arm in order to appease these people, I think is another question altogether. 
so exposing that is is my bugbear at the minute. Right. Um, Jolian actually, Jolian Mom is is being a useful idiot in that sense. He is taking the government to court, as or trying to, as far as their environmental policies concerned on things like. We've seen Heathrow has exposed the farce of net zero by 2050 because expansion of that isn't going ahead for environmental reasons. Uh, I think HS2 will potentially be called into question. Happy days as far as I'm concerned. Um, But I think Jolien actually exposing the fact that politicians aren't being honest with what this means and prohibits a lot of expansion and growth in our economy will actually serve a purpose. So right, all yes. power to them as far yeah. as that's concerned. Um, but yeah, I, I would like politicians to actually own up mm. to what these, the green virtue signalling that mm. they are guilty of at the minute mm. actually means for voters and putting food on voters' tables. And finally, will you continue to be based in Durham or I mean, are you based solely in London now or what? I try to go back home as often as I can, yeah. mainly for sanity to be honest yeah. and also I think to give us a slap back down to reality because I think being in Westminster for too long you get caught up in oh, yes. the, the bubble essentially and I definitely never ever want that to happen. I want to be reminded of how difficult it is for many people out there um, and yeah, so I try to go back as often as I can, but yes, I am based in London as far as work's concerned. Right. Yeah. But I think there isn't anyone really, with, there's a lot of new think tanks out there at the minute, and they seem to be talking about what's good for areas and voters that have voted Tory for the first time without actually speaking to these people, without actually speaking to these voters and listening to their concerns. Um, I certainly don't think that what these voters want is a push for self-identification and these issues that I think are neither here nor there. Um, so I I would like to do a bit more of getting out in the country mm-hmm. and actually speaking to people and doing a bit of on-the-ground stuff because uh, I don't think there's enough of that. So watch this space is what I'm saying. All right. Well, we certainly will. Now. I mean, look, thanks so much for coming on and, and you know taking us through actually quite a lot of your life, actually. And I mean... All the very best to you, you know, all the very best to the future. Uh, that's it for uh, so what you're saying is this week. Um, I say this every week, that's because I mean it. Please do subscribe, won't you? We're now at about 57,000 subscribers. Um, and please do join, because we want more and more. Uh, see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>